and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon community. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. And I am Kikita Kaori. And this week we have the second part of the Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow and we also have the results of the first round of voting. Yep. In news... Not a whole lot of news this week. We had a brief and exciting blip. Uh, Fields of Victory was uh, announced in the weekly announcements of new products going out for FFG this week. But then about an hour later, it was removed from the announcements of new products going out this week and is now listed as out of stock. So... It's not really out there. No, no. Fooled us. We don't have any. We certainly don't have any reports because if it had gone out, you'd have expected some stores to have it, and people would be gleefully saying, "I bought it. I looked at it. It was great." But that has not happened, so we're not sure what's going on. Yeah, people. People have contacted their stores. Um, I have heard the date floated around by people of uh, April fourteenth uh, as being a possible date that they're supposed to get it i have not given up all hope but uh as of this moment it's still a little confused of course when we get it we will drop everything and report extensively on it and let you know everything that we find out that's in it so let's move on to the round one vote results so we had shima tsukune versus Yogo Kikuyo. And I have to say, not terribly surprisingly, Shiba Tsukune won quite convincingly, 72% to 28%, given that I could not remember who Yogo Kikuyo was at all. Right, so Shiba Tsukune is the champion of the Phoenix Clan. Yep. Uh, we first heard her, read about her in the very first Phoenix fiction, and she... Uh, received the sword of Shiba that declared her champion. Yoko Kikyo, on the other hand, we first heard about her in the Fall of Yogo Castle. Um, yeah. Fictions. She carried a message away from uh, Yogo Castle. Uh, she, basically, she carried the Black Scroll to uh, Shoju and kind of uh, helped him out in, in that uh, situation, helped break him out of jail, those, those sort of good things. Yeah, so, so Tsukune's been in lots of fictions, Kikiya not so many, so that's a thing. For the second bracket, Togashi Kazue versus Hida Oushi. Uh, Oushi won at 69% to Kazue's 31%. Yep. Again, not too surprising. Hida Oishi has been a fan favorite for a long time, since since the before times, quite frankly. And uh, she's pretty awesome. Togashi Kazue, she was the one who starred in the Dragon novella, as I recall. I hope I'm getting my, my Togashi's right. <laughs> yes, yes. She's, she's, the, she's the star of the uh, Dragon Clan novella. She has a young Togashi who has a knot tattoo that brings enlightenment. Hida Oushi is the child, one of the three children of Hida Kasada. So she's, she's a sensible, practical one. <laughs> yeah, she's... People have... Uh, been a fan of her for ages, so not too surprising. So we're going to move on to the next bracket, which is Togashi Yokuni versus Hida Sukune. This was 67% to 33% re respectively, with Togashi Yokuni coming out ahead. Togashi Yokuni is the clan champion of the Dragon Clan, and in old lore was actually Togashi but we're going to talk about that a little bit later, I suspect. Hida Sukune is the son of Hidekasada, so also a brother to Hida Oushi. Uh, he's kind of the very level-headed, not terribly physically capable due to some kind of illness, Hida sibling. But known for his tactical genius. Yes, that's his main thing. He's, he's kind of like the smart one of the three. He was in the Crab novella, going to get a very important artifact from 
uh, scary swamp in the Shinman Forest. Right. And in the Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow, he is also the um, commander-in-chief of these forces fighting Akumano Oni. So he's currently in charge of the Crab Clan. So not too surprising again for this one. I don't know. I, I liked the idea of Sakuri taking it. Uh, the next round was Asako Mezawa at 42% versus Bayushi Yojiro at 58%. Now, Asako Mezawa is an Asako Inquisitor. He first shows up in uh, Sword and Spirits, the Phoenix Clan novella, but he, not as the main character. And he's shown up a few times since. He is an advisor to Shiba Sukune. And he goes hunting down poor, defenseless Mahosukai. Uh, <laughs> Bayushi Yojiro is now, as of this point, the Scorpion Clan champion. Uh, he is known as the Honest Scorpion and is uh, has been in especially the main character of the Scorpion Clan novella. And uh, he has been featured quite prominently in the goings-on of Toshi Rambo, which was under his command. Yep. So how he got here is an interesting story we will talk about. So, so that's a little bit closer. That was 42% to 58%. Yes, that was, that was closer for sure. No clan champions. Not very close at all. Uh, Yoritomo versus the heroic ancestor, presumably heroic ancestor of the lion. And we think we, ha- we think we know who it is now, but at that point, he's just heroic ancestor. Yoritomo got uh, the, the 20 best men score of 70%, leaving a mere 30% for our unknown heroic ancestor. So that's not a huge surprise. Yoritomo, the clan champion of the Mantis clan, meme lord extraordinaire, uh, hero pirate, all sorts. I mean, he's, he's had a, a fanatic following since... Pretty much his inception back in the olden days of Legend of the Five Rings. Um, he is much more tolerable, I have to say, in New 5R. I actually quite like him. <laughs> so, uh, again, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of fans. So that's possibly the least surprising result in this entire thing. Although, interestingly, it's not actually... I was a little surprised that it's not actually the biggest victory. That was Shiba Tsukune versus Yogo Kikuyo. But still, 70 to 30. Pretty good. And we'll talk about who the heroic ancestor is later, I guess. Uh, The next round was Daidoji Uji uh, versus Shinjo Shono. Uh, Daidoji Uji got 56% versus Shinjo Shono's 44%. So Daidoji Uji is the uh, daimyo of the Daidoji family. He is nicknamed Shredder because... (laughs) Ninja Turtles. Yep. But we, we last saw him blowing up Kuden Kikita with gunpowder to get the line out. He's very uh, willing to use unorthodox tactics and very dedicated to his clan. And he's uh, quite popular in the uh, Crane clan. And uh, that probably helped contribute to his victory. Uh, Shinjo Shono at 44%. Shinjo Shono was the main character of the Unicorn clan novella, Across the Burning Sands. Uh, He had his eye eaten by a witch recently. And uh, he's he's a very good character, but maybe not so flavorful (laughs) as Daidoji Uji right now. Yeah, I think also if you haven't read the novella, I don't think he was very much on screen as compared to Doji Uji, who's was you know, we saw him dealing with Doji Koanon, we saw him angsting over what to do with Kiyud and Kakita. Uh so we've seen a lot of them if you haven't read any of the novellas. And that's a, that's kind of a big right. thing. Last we saw Shono outside the novella was um him basically killing his Matsu fiancé in battle and being very sad about it. Mm. So That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah. And now in the closest contest in this particular bracket, Katsuo the Peasant against Moto Chagatai. And Katsuo the Peasant got 51%, with Moto Chagatai getting 49%. So that was really, really close. And Katsuo we saw in one of the earlier fictions where 
a patrol of the lost, as in samurai who have become tainted in the Shadowlands and are now beholden to the will of Jigoku, invaded his village and killed pretty much everybody. And Katsuo and one or two, he managed to get one or two people out. But other than that, his entire village got killed. And we didn't see anything from him until he suddenly turns up being mentioned in the first Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow, where apparently he's been out and about doing things, which is rather neat. Moto Chagatai, meanwhile, is... This is kind of surprising, because he was a fan favorite from Old5R, and he was looking to be somewhat similar in New5R. He is the very ambitious Moto... He's the son of the Moto Daimyo, and in Old5R, he actually became champion of the Unicorn and very nearly Emperor of Rock again. The Battle of Winter Snow? I could be wrong the name of it. <laughs> Where he did a very, very, very audacious attempt to just take over everything. And he was beginning to look that way because we've seen him in a couple of fictions and we've you know, really got into his head and, and got into understanding what he wants and why he wants it. And that was uh, rather cool. So this was very close and it's a moderately surprising result. I don't know if it's surprising. I think Katsuo the Peasant kind of appealed to people. I would not be I would not be overly surprised if Katsuo the Peasant actually takes the whole thing, to be honest, because I think there's enough of, by, by the end of the voting brackets, enough clans will have their favorite characters removed one way or another. It's just you get, right now we've got every faction except Unicorn. So what are the Unicorn players going to be inclined to vote for now? They're going to be inclined to go for Katsuo. Apart from anything else, there's the, well, if the person who knocked out the last Unicorn ends up winning it, then we came second. Or at least that, can, yeah, that kind of thing, you know. Well, so so eventually, since Katsuo is neutral and kind of, I, I don't want to say trolly, <laughs> I, I, but I'm not saying like mean trolley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's the weirdest. It's the weirdest option. So people go for the weirdest option anyway. And then as as factions get knocked out of the brackets just because of voting, they could either vote for a different clan or they could vote for neutral, which is not a different clan. So I think I would not be surprised if just off of that Katsuo would win and. It's the weird option, too, so it gets the I like the weird stuff vote as well. It's just... And, and also the the wanting to see the underdog win out over everybody. I think that's another aspect people want. So the last round, it was uh, Matsusuko at 54% to Kakita Toshimoto at 46%. And this was not hugely... Um, not close. I thought this was fairly close. Mm. Uh, Matsusuko is the current champion of the Lion Clan. And Kikita Tashimoko is a very uh, well-known, the best swordsman in the Empire. Uh, pretty much bar none. Person with a lot of uh, joie de vivre. And, yes, uh, yes. I, I guarantee if he had won, it would be a very funny last story um, and probably very swashbuckly because that's mm. just Hashimoko, old man, sh- old man swashbuckler. But that was not to be. Um, so Matsusuko takes it. I've, I've got to say, when you say Matsusuko is the champion of the Lion Clan, that's really up for debate. That's <laughs> really, really up to debate. But yes, she is. She is certainly effectively champion. And and she just like we talked about for Bayushi Yojiro, we last saw her way up in Toshiramba, way up so north, taking some some getting to get those two here. And we will find about that today. Right now, because now that we're finished talking about the results. Let's move on to the actual fiction itself and see how they, these results may have informed the writing. Mm-hmm. So The Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow, Chapter 2, is by Robert Denton III. Uh, we have confirmation that he did write this very, very quickly. 
Yeah. So um, he he is he is writing this this storyline. Um, let's see. In summary, on the shores of Cherry Blossom Snow Lake, Togashi Yakuni turns up in Hida Sukune's command tent, despite the message only being sent to him two weeks ago. He brings monks, both medics and archers. And then the next day, Matsusuko wakes up in sight of crab forces, apparently having traveled the Emperor's Road, a mystic path opened by the Sapun Shikinja. She leaves her spirit guide and resolves to help, uh, as only the Lady of Lions can. Yoritomo and the Mantis set up barricades, forcing the enemy to try and come into a single focus point to face him. While Oushi readies herself within sight of the Shinoma Mori as the Shadowlands vanguard approaches. Under Sukune's command, the Sparrow, Wasp, Falcon, and Dragon missile troops engage. Then a group of Ashigaru led by Katsuo sets up a false retreat, leading the Shadowlands into a magical flame trap set up by the Phoenix. And then Daidoji Uji and the Crane forces arrive unexpectedly to aid the crab. And Bayushi Yojiro is suddenly and weirdly teleported to the battle by Yogo Kikyo. And finally, way down south in the Shadowlands at the Temple of the Ninth Kami, we learn Asawa Tadaka, Asakusuki, and Spike in the Gut find their way through a terrifying library into the Inner Sanctum and find a scroll, which they believe is the account of how Fu Lang was defeated on the Day of Thunder. Yep. Lots going on. And like, like literally each one of those separate paragraphs is a whole separate thing happening. It's uh, loads, loads happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's get started on, there's a lot to unpack, a lot of lore nuggets to go through. So let's, let's, let's strap in and get going. This is taking place on the 13th and 14th of the month of Togashi. Uh, is that January? I can never remember where we are. That's January. Yeah. And this is a month after, almost to the day, after the previous Heroes of Legend fiction, which had specifically Matsutsuko and Bayushi Yojiro way up north in Toshirambo area. So we're not quite sure what's happened in that month, but they are now both here, which is interesting. Yep. So this is the first time that many in Rokugan have ever seen Tagashi Yokuni. Um, he's described as being this this huge guy as big as Hida Kasada with a mask. No one can see his face. And it's interesting. Here he is described as having tattoos. In old lore, he did not have tattoos. Um, there are reasons he did not have tattoos. <laughs> he didn't need tattoos, but this guy does. Um, however, it's very useful to help everyone know that he is, in fact, a dragon. Yeah. So Yakuni, as part of doing his job as being mysterious, because that's like one of the things you get when you when you're a dragon clan champion, he greets Shiba Tsukune as old friend, which is an interesting thing to say because apparently they've never met. And this is, as far as I'm aware, the first time he's been known to have stepped off the mountain. This might be evidence that this is the Togashi, which was the situation in old law. He was literally the Kami Togashi who had not died or was possibly swapping bodies over the centuries, mm -hmm. uh, depending on which retcon you believe. Because that sounds very much like the Kami Togashi saying old friend to... The Kami Shiba, whose soul resides in Shiba Tsukune's sword that she carries as the champion of the Phoenix, because that contains the soul of Shiba. He says that he's returning a favor that Shiba did. I wonder what the favor is. Uh, the, the one that comes to mind most of all is, was it to Shiba himself for going out and saving Shinsei? from the uh, first Oni, which is how Shiba, Shiba died. It also said, Shiba Sukune says, that's not even the oddest thing he ever said, you know, a dragon ever told me. And that, 
means I've got to wonder, what is that <laughs> thing Tagashi ever told her? <laughs> oh, I mean, I just, I have to say, I, I totally loved Yokuni here. He was just, just so much fun. <laughs> he was just great. Dragonflame archers were mentioned. Those were some of the troops that uh, Tagashi Yokuni brought down. Uh, classically, these are elite Miramoto archers, trained not in Niten, but with the bow and able to deploy quickly. Um, they are not traditionally Togashi. Yeah. But here, apparently they're monks. So, you know, whatever works, it can change. It's it's also possible that, because this this was kind of, oh, oh, he's just turned up. Oh, uh, and he's brought some monks um, and uh, some people with archers and some medics. And it's not necessarily true that the archers are also monks. And maybe they're archer monks and... The Dragon's Flame, or the Dragon's Flame are monks now, or any number of things. So it, it's a confused time, but who knows. Uh, we we have the point of view of Hida Sukune here, and he's apparently never, ever seen a Togashi monk, which is interesting, which means he's never seen a player character group. Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, he's uh, but so he's heard all the stories, you know, like punches, you know, sundering stones, flames pouring from their mouths, being unaffected by hunger or cold, their feet running lightly across lily pads. Yeah, this is the thing that in 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 the fiction, if not quite so much in uh, role playing game parties, they are incredibly rare and are considered legendary. And even the daimyo have not seen them generally, and even you know, the son of the Crab Clan champion has not actually seen a Takashi monk with his own eyes before. So that's how rare they're meant to be in fiction. So, so in the next section of the story, we learn that Matsusuko shows up. She has traveled the Emperor's Road, uh, which was opened by Sapun Shikinja. So what is the Emperor's Road? It is originally, in old lore, a rank four water spell. And it was used to send the emperor and any number of the emperor's companions to winter court. It had to follow a selected, blessed imperial road, right? But okay. it made traveling along that road very fast. Yeah. It's it's not quite clear. I it, it kind of felt like she traveled through the realm of the realm of dreams is what it felt like. Felt very dreamlike. Like she dreamed about traveling and now here she is. Well, it never said in no. the old lore how it feels to walk in this fashion. So that that certainly could be be it. I'm just saying that it's not um it's it's not one of the free teleport anywhere things, or it, and it's not a drop into a portal to another realm, and you can get, yeah yeah you you can get there. It's it's not it's not established like that, and it doesn't go everywhere. It it follows these uh, the imperial roads, and so um, that's kind of what it is. And has to be opened by Sapuncha Ginja because it's done to allow the emperor to pass. The why is... Yes. <laughs> what, what has been going on in the past month that, first off, we've got Sapuncha Ginja involved, apparently, at least if it's the same as the emperor's road of... Well, it's, she says that it was opened by Sapuncha Ginja. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so... Without an army, uh, apparently, and you know, why her specifically, other than she won her bracket. But, you know, I'm sure there's going to be an in-law reason. So some, it's, it's kind of interesting. We're seeing this, and we're probably going to find out later what happened a month ago that, that sent us here. The other interesting thing is that uh, certainly in her dream-slash-dreamlike state of traveling the Emperor's Road, she has a spirit guide who it is very heavily implied is her beloved betrothed Arasaur. It's not actually specifically stated, but, I mean, she's holding hands with this spirit and she's very unhappy to let go of his hand and all that kind of thing. I can't think of who else is going to be. Yeah, we had speculated before that the honourable ancestor that would, in the voting bracket, was, in fact, the spirit of uh, Akoto Arasaur, who was killed 
in the very first lion fiction uh, during the fight for Tushy Rambo. So this is him, him showing up here. We did have that confirmed from uh, various sources that, uh, that it was intended to be a Kodorasu all along. So we got a guess right there. <laughs> Let's see. Um, so she, Matsusuka thinks a little bit about her life. Um, and in the story, it says that she had a rushed Genpuku and then she was thrust into the role of champion and then she had to fight off her her uncle to prove her strength to be Daimyo. That's, that's kind of how she describes her life. In the old lore, her Genpuku was rushed because her father was killed by the phoenix when she was 10. Yeah. And so she had to step into the role of clan champion at that age. In old lore, her uncle was the one who trained her, but he died when she was eight. So this this fighting her uncle to prove her strength, this is, this is new lore. New lore or possibly a new uncle. She might have more than one. So it might have been... She could have more than one. Yeah, it might have been might have a good uncle who trained her and a bad uncle who fought her or all things suddenly changed where he did no no that old uncle died when she was eight so no either a new uncle or (laughs) or new law yeah or both must be said or both and while she's reminiscing she's thinking about what she was told about the situation with the crab by Miramoto Hitomi who is currently in Otosan Uchi thoroughly involved in the shenanigans there so we're going to have to see how all these stories interact. So she's clearly had a busy month since the last right. legend of hero, heroes of legend fiction. So I'll <laughs> be looking forward to finding out what's going on there. Right. Um, we travel to Yoritomo. We see Yoritomo and he is breaking up boats to make barricades. He has been told by all of the Shigenja. Yeah. Do not cut down any trees of the Shinoma forest, <laughs> yeah, yeah, even though he'd yeah. like to. <laughs> it's like everybody's saying, "Don't look at look at look at all that wood! Look at all that wood!" And then he, and, he, and they say, "No, don't for heaven, no!" And he's going, "That makes me want to do it more." <laughs> it's like God, you're a Tomo, heaven's sake! I I am my twenty dumbest men. <laughs> But we have, we saw a little bit in the fiction, uh, what was it, tactical maneuvers that uh, messing around with the Shinoma, with, with forests without permission, albeit that was Kitsune Mori, but still don't, don't mess around with forests. They're, they they get angry and mad at you. Yeah. And the goal is to get them mad at the Shadowlands, not you. Fangorn Forest. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. So, uh, Mr. Denton, he writes about the scent of poplar in both Matsusuko and Yoritomo sections, which I, you know, I always have to go and look up the flower meaning. So that's just me, especially since they note its uh, fragrance is out of season. Uh, it's not time for poplar to bloom. Yeah, this is January, but uh, they they smell poplar blossom anyway. So what is what is poplar? Why might you include it? Well, it's not a popular Hanakotoba symbol, which is language of flowers, but it is used as a symbol of courage or victory because it is a very straight, fast-growing tree that is often known to be the first to sprout after a forest has been destroyed by fire. Oh. So when a forest has been destroyed for whatever reason, the very first trees that take root and grow into saplings are poplar trees. So I thought that he actually, like, found a decent symbol, even if he did it accidentally. Interesting symbolism, yeah. We meet Yoritomo's boatswain. That's the ship's officer in charge of equipment and crew. This is this guy is called Susanoo no Izen. So he is presumably taking his name, as the mantis do, from the ship that he's on, which is presumably called the Susanoo, who is the founding member of the mantis clan. He is the grandson of Hida, the kami, who said when he wasn't going to inherit the clan, said, I'm going to make my own clan with blackjack and hookers. And that's <laughs> that's pretty much what he did. So Izen presumably is the bosun of that ship. 
as they are chopping up their boats, uh, uh, Yoritomo thinks a little bit about the building techniques for building Kabune. And uh, he does get it right, um, <laughs> which he would know, but it means that uh, the writer did go and look it up. Um, the Kabuni are made of hand-carved fitted planks of treated cedar and fire-bent pine. You know, they use heat and water and use that to bend the pine. And then they are placed in the water until the swelling of the boards creates a watertight seal. Um, they don't even necessarily need nails to keep these, and they don't uh, line them with pitch. It's done with such fine um, jointsmanship that uh, that is what is holding these these ships together. So yeah, which which has the actual kind of you have the 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 opposite of that, which is because these ships are being placed here as barricades they're going to lose that, which means they won't be able to be used anymore. So this is the Mantis actually losing some of the ships because by beaching them and using them to block off avenues of approach, they can't be used as ships anymore, which is uh, an interesting of that. The Fox Chukenja, meanwhile, are in the Shinomen doing something which apparently is to use the forest against the attackers. And we haven't really seen much in the way of Fox Shukenja in the law, in new in new law anyway. So we're not quite sure what this might be. It could be doing a kind of you know, rousing the forest in a very kind of Fangorn forest kind of way, get the trees all riled up. Might be going to go talk to the Naga. That's a thought. Or it could be some other completely random things that we haven't seen before. So yeah, looking forward to that one. We don't know. <laughs> They do mention uh, that the barracks of the damned have been taken over. So we mentioned last uh, podcast that the barracks of the damned are right on the path that Akuma no Oni is going to march mm. based on what he's taken over already. And apparently uh, uh, that has been latched onto because now he confirms that uh, the barracks of the damned were taken over and all of the... Right on the edge, Shadowlands tainted, but holding it together somehow. Samurai and the Barracks of the Dams are now pushed over the edge, and they are marching alongside Akuma no Oni. In the last P province podcast that I listened to last week, uh, Robert Denton was very amused by that idea. <laughs> we see Hida Sukune signaling with doubled war fans, which is presumably the kind of kidney-shaped ones, butterfly-shaped ones, as opposed to the folding fans. So he's doing all his coordinating of his very varied army these days using those double dwarf fans, which is, in fact, one of the things they were used for. So that's a nice little detail. Mm -hmm. And everybody has the same language because we see different clans, even clans who are traditionally enemies, being able to signal to each other and communicate by fan. Even so, it doesn't mean they don't have their own codes as well, but you can communicate with the enemy general if you wish, or an allied general uh, if you wish with doubled war fans, even if you have not made your uh, playbook ahead of time. We've got the mentions using the first attacks were from volleys of sling stones from the Sparrow Clan. And it was worth noting their range and strength. Um, it's been attacked pretty hard, but uh, the misconception has been that slings are weak weapons. And uh, so he goes into fairly excited detail about uh, how utter the decimation of these sling stones are. Um, they are hitting at a range, he says, of uh, 900 shaku, which is about 900 feet or 274 meters. So that's a really good range. Yeah, that's pretty good. I don't know whether they're using slings or sling staffs because the sling staff has even more range. But that's, yeah, mm -hmm. slingers were very impressive. Absolutely. We see the Ashigaru under the leadership of Katsuo do a deliberate, intentional pretending to break and flee from the enemy, which is a very classic technique and is noted to show how Katsuo 
has become very well disciplined and able to lead people. And this was done to set up fake bodies that were actually filled of straw. And that was used as a focus for the phoenix to do a great big huge fire spell when the horrible monsters all went, oh, we will ravage the people and run after them because they're fleeing. And oh, wait. Oh, no, we're on fire. This is not good. <laughs> and uh, yep. maybe the exploding straw people was a bit fanciful, but then phoenix magic. But using the Ashigaru to appear to break and flee and thus break up the enemy formations is a very common tactic. And it was really nice to see it here. Yep. Uji arrives uh, with his uh, glittering forces of the crane. Uh, about, I think it's at the same pass where Yoritomo was supposedly holding, at least from that direction. It's, it's hard to tell what pass he comes from. Um, he has with him Doji's fan, which is Crane's cavalry unit. Doji's fan uh, started as a, a gift of unicorn horses made after the crane welcomed the unicorn back to Rokugan, and they're named after the fan Doji had given Shinjo that the unicorn then returned to the crane to prove that they were Shinzo's descendants. Uh, he also shows up with the iron cranes. Iron cranes are Daidoji heavy infantry. Uh, they have all been trained for a year on the wall under crab command, so they kind of actually know how to fight Shadowlands things a little bit, which is cool. And Oushi said that the crab did not ask for crane help, so I got to wonder why they didn't uh, and how did Uji know to come, but we shall find out, right? We next see Katsuo, the peasant, leading a group of Ashigaro in what looks like a charge that turns into a rout. But it turns out that this is a very deliberate deception. It is a classic military technique to fake a rout in order to disorganize the enemy because the enemy will obviously start charging in because they think they've got people on the run. It's also a demonstration of just how disciplined Katsuo is and how good he is at gaining the trust and obedience of the Ashigaru under his command. So that's all really highlighting how far he's come since his appearance in, in fiction. This is also a standard or very famous technique used in, all, in Japanese warfare, where as they run, they apparently trample over some of their own people and bodies are left behind. Which, of course, the forces of the Shadowlands being horrible monsters in great part immediately fall upon. But this turns out to be a another cunning ploy of leaving fake bodies behind on the battlefield. In this case, instead of uh, – it was very digital for Ninja to leave behind people and then they leap up and attack when no one's expecting. But in this case, these bodies are simply dummies filled with straw, nice, dry, flammable straw – which the Phoenix Shukenja then set ablaze. And that combined with pre-consecrated ground, ground they have specifically set up to work with this, suddenly a lot of the Shadowlands forces are on fire, <laughs> as well as disorganized and uh, out of formation. So this was a really nice little thing, a combination of very, very classic battle techniques showing us Katsuo's development and giving it a specifically Rokugani twist with the use of fire shugenja. So that was a really cool moment. Yeah. Let's see. Dadoji Uji shows up with his glittering forces of the crane. Uh, it, it's hard to tell in the description where he's showing up from. It seems almost like he's showing up from the same pass or the same direction that Yoritomo was supposedly holding, but it, I couldn't really tell. Uh, he shows up with a couple of crane units that are famous. Uh, one of them is Doji's Fan. Doji's Fan is Crane's cavalry unit. Uh, it was begun uh, and is, has the name it has because it is based on a gift of unicorn horses that the unicorn gave the crane after the crane welcomed the unicorn back into Rokugan. It's called Doji's Fan because when the unicorn returned, they brought with them a fan that Doji had given her sister and that was the crane 
at the time they returned, identifying that fan as actually being the original fan of Doji is what proved that the unicorn actually were Shinjo's descendants and what allowed um, Rokugan to uh, admit that they were who they said they were and admit them back to the Empire. Uh, he also brought with them the Iron Cranes, and the Iron Cranes are Daidoji heavy infantry that have generally trained for a year on the wall under crab command um, in order to make them you know, big and tough and used to heavy armor and, and so forth. So these troops actually are a good unit to bring to fight the Shadowlands. Absolutely. They've, they've done it before. They're experienced. Um Oh, she says in when she's thinking about this that the crab didn't ask the crane for help, um, though she didn't think that when the dragon showed up. So they had asked the dragon for help. So I'm very curious as to um, why they didn't ask the crane for help, or and how the crane knew to come. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious to me as a crane player why the crane would show up. They're right there. They're it's it's. They're defending the Empire as much as anybody. Um, but it may be that the crab just thought the forces were too uh, decimated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that they've been fighting the lion. So it might be logical to say, well, clearly the crane aren't going to have troops spare. Plus, Kuta and Kakita just went kaboom. So presumably, you know, they, it's very reasonable to think, well, they, they clearly don't have anything to spare. But that's an in- that is an interesting thing. Why didn't they just send an uh, empire wide? Please come help! It's gone bad. But apparently they didn't ask the crane. That's very interesting. Uh, speaking of unexpected arrivals, <laughs> Bayushi Yojiro suddenly shows up on the battlefield, going, "Wait, what's going on here? I was just in a safe house looking through stuff, and wait, wait, uh, uh, are you Yogo?" Uh, Kikuyo, are you Yogo Kikuyo? And is this a battle? And are those the actual forces of hell? What the actual is going on here? <laughs> so <laughs> we're not. No one's entirely sure what he's doing here. Uh, Yogo Kikuyo is basically saying, "Oh well, you shouldn't be playing with things that aren't yours," which implies that the safe house that he was in, and we don't know where the safe house is. We don't know if it's in Otosanuchi. We don't know if it's in Toshi Rambo, because he's also had a month to do stuff. Mm-hmm. So he, we don't know what he's been getting up to in the past month. But apparently he was going into a safe house. One theory is everyone in the Heroes of Legend fictions has gone into Otosanuchi to deal with the shoju situation. And he's looking in a, in a scorpion safe house in Otosan Uchi. But it could be one in Toshi Rambo. We don't know. He picked up a very fancy-looking jite. For those of you who don't know, jite is a – it's very associated with law enforcement. It's like a truncheon, a small stick or staff with a prong on the side. And it's like a sai with only one prong but no sharp pointy bits. It's for hitting people who don't want to obey the law and also for catching sword blades and, and such like. It is very often considered a mark of a magistrate. It's so ubiquitous amongst magistrates, it's almost like a badge of office in itself. This is very detailed in its description, so it might be a very special one. And it seems that by picking it up, he got teleported to where Yogo Kikiyo is, and I'm not entirely sure why that is. One possibility is that it's a because there was a a named from Oldler, I think, the celestial jite, which were made to fight the Shadowlands, and if they were ever separated, they would automatically teleport to each other's side. So maybe it's one of those, but they were made in Old Law after the second day of Thunder, so further into the timeline than we are. So after 11.23, these would have to be some other background. The other possibility is that it is a generic, this safe house has booby traps in it that will, for some reason, magically teleport any thief who's grabbing the wrong gear. Maybe we'll get an explanation later, but never mind. <laughs> Yojiro is here fighting off teleportation sickness and really, really not happy about where he suddenly ended up. So that's that's one theory. I mean, and that's the one that we are given so far that the uh, that the 
these jeet caused him to teleport there, either because the two jeet were teleporting to each other, which is what the celestial jitsu do, or is a booby trap or something. However, here's my theory for what it's worth. Um, we talked about Yoko Kikyo before. She was the one who brought the Black Scroll to uh, Bayushi Shoju. Um, I think it is possible that she was sent by Shoju to assist the crab in battle, but he doesn't want anyone to know that she or anyone he sends to assist the crab in battle are scorpion sent by him because, you know, he's trying to look like he's aligned with the Shadowlands, right? Mm -hmm. So why would they go? So all of these scorpion that she is with are disguised and not disguised as scorpion, just disguised, right? Uh, Which Yojiro observes. So that would explain why they are there and why they are disguised. If Kikyo was sent by Shoju to help uh, the crab versus Akuma no Oni, one of Shoju's goals is to actually still preserve some remnant of the scorpion. Yeah, yes. Okay, he, he wants the Empire to know for sure that there are good scorpion fighting against... Him, basically. That's 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 his major goal. And so if that's the case, there is no better figurehead for a good scorpion fighting against Shoju than Bayushi Yojiro, even if Yojiro wasn't the uh tempor uh, scorpion champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we saw in an early story. He's the honest scorpion. He is famous for that. Right. He has this rep yeah, he has this reputation of being the honest scorpion. So everyone would know who know of him if there was a battle with the Shadowlands, even if the Scorpion were allied with the Shadowlands, he would fight against the Shadowlands. They wouldn't like kill him on sight or anything. One would hope. So if if that's the case, so Shoji wants a force, a person, or somebody visible visibly scorpion and visibly fighting against the shadowlands on that battlefield he would intentionally set up a way to get yojiro there yes all right so that would be a good explanation for why yojiro is teleported in the mechanism of it and even um kikyo acting surprised is just uh, a ruse to get him there. If if Yojiro's in there, it'd be under this theory. K- Kikio still might be surprised. It might be something that Shoju knows, right? He knows that if someone goes to this safe house and gets this thing or or does this thing, they are going this teleport thing will happen. And so he in some way there is there is some either he possibly tell, I mean tells Yojiro to go do this. But the other possibility is he does some variant of, Mwahaha, I am so evil. I do hope no one goes to that safe house and picks up that jite. That would be terrible and might disrupt my evil plan of evil. Twirl, twirl, moustache, twirl. And then, so, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So that, you know, Yojiro goes, well, I think I'd best go do that then. And it's all a plan to get Yojiro where he ends up. Right. Yeah. So the whole point is just having a f- scorpion face character in the fight against evil yep. to save the Scorpion clan into the future as as good guys, even though Shoju is painting himself as being the bad guy. He's, he's having to set up a, a pure Scorpion clan in opposition to his apparently evil Scorpion clan. Even more evil Scorpion clan. <laughs> um, Kikyo also says... Uh, you, meaning Yojiro, assisted an associate of mine in the City of Lies. This is from the Whispers of Shadow and Steel novel by Mari Murdoch Novella. Um, we don't know who he assisted. It could well have been Shoju himself. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could have been uh, Oi or Takeo, uh, who are two shadow branded yeah. people in that in that novel. So we don't know, but uh, that's that's where the reference is from. Yeah, so she she's referring to one of those people probably. 
but which particular one is not sure. Uh, during the shenanigans and also the going into the Temple of the Ninth Kami, we meet a Bakezori. Zori are a particular sort of footwear, a straw sandal, basically. Uh, but it's sprouting spider legs, which is delightful. Not human <laughs> like, eyeball. And a human eyeball, because otherwise, how would it know where it's going? That would that would make no sense at all. Uh, yeah, that's not, yeah. That, I, I believe that's a fairly commonly known yokai, but I suspect this is a tainted version of that, given where it is. Mm-hmm. There's also a giant centipede uh, crawling around. You know, these are just things that uh, Tadaka and uh, Sakosuki and and their Nizumi buddy um, see in the Temple of the Ninth Kami. The yeah. name for the giant centipedes as big as a boat yeah. uh, are Omukade. Yeah. I think but, that's how you'd say that, Omukade. Yeah. It depends what size of boat you're thinking, I guess. But still, that's a big centipede regardless, <laughs> unless you're like – It's a big centipede. Little toy boat. But anything bigger than that, yeah, it's like, that's a big centipede. The Temple of the Ninth Kami, the actual temple itself, because they've gone into the building and most of it seems to be a library, at least along their way. They find the actual temple. And it's interesting that they still have the Shimenawa ropes. Those are the ropes which are hung with paper charms in a kind of a lightning bolt zigzag pattern. And that's what you see in Shinto temples. And it's interesting that you see it down here in the depths of the Shadowlands itself, enclosing a holy space. The the ropes are generally made of rice straw or possibly hemp, and they've got the, the shide paper streamers so i don't know whether this is an evil twisted version of this or if this is just straight up a temple to akami even though it's akami we don't like very much so that was very interesting mm-hmm. yeah I, I actually liked that that twist that even though mm. he's corrupted in so many ways he's still uh, there's still a this the the factors of veneration are are still still there. Yeah. yeah. Also in there are six white urns for the six of the seven thunders who died there in the Shadowlands, which I actually really like too. There's like just a a level of respect there that I I appreciate, mm. even from evil um that that this is going on. I, I think I like my evil more lawful than chaotic anyway. <laughs> Having the urns there is a nice verification to me. Mm. In the old lore, um, some of the most ugly um, parts of the old lore that was just really disturbing, given the nature of the story, um, were that uh, Hida Atarasi Atarasi and Doji Konoshiko were not dead. Um, Kita Atarasi was, uh, had been, had died, but could not be, have his head removed and became like this, uh, you know, avatar of evil and Hida went off to fight him for forever. And, yeah. Um, they were still fighting to this day and Doji Konoshiko's story was even worse in some versions. They claimed that she was like forced to. Uh, basically, be abused by demons forever. Yeah, which will just let's just let's just draw a veil over that. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. They're safely dead, and and actually, they're that's a kind of weird. Only in Rockyan, she's fortunately she's dead. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah, <laughs> when you're talking about that, that's the way it goes. Um. So this this gives a, a little confirmation of that. There were some maps displayed, which were very interesting. Of, and it's not quite sure where they are of. There's a keep in the marshlands and a village in the mountains. The question is, are these specific destinations that Akumano Oni might be looking for? Are they important parts of the Shadowlands? Are they areas outside the Shadowlands that are important? Um, I keep in the marshlands because there's the swamp in the Shinman Mori, which is a Shadowlands area. I don't know if there's a keep there. 
The village in the mountains made me think of Shinsei's Last Hope, which I believe is in mountains. And that's an area that can't be tainted. Or it could be like where the hair clan was. Or it could be the one from the novel Curse of Honor. Uh, yes, it could be the one from the uh, well, the village in the village in the mountains could also be the one in the Night Parade of a Hundred Demons. That's true. We don't know how far. That's a village as opposed to a keep, and it's in the mountains. Yeah, and um, the 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 place in Curse of Honor is more often described as a city rather than a village. So yeah, that could fit. A lot of possibilities. We don't know. And then they see this scroll wrapped in black silk on the podium. And uh, I, I think it was funny how Suki just grabs it and says, no, read it. No more hesitating. Let's go yep. home. Let's do it. Go big or go home. Um, but it could be it could be the history. I mm-hmm. mean, we're kind of assuming it is. It we're certainly hoping. It could be. <laughs> It could be a trick. It could be the black scroll. Mm-hmm. It could just or, be a random booby trap scroll. It, yeah, I mean, it could be a really black scroll. Or I think, to me, what the most interesting solution is, though I you know, will yet to see, is if it is both. Right. So we know that the black scrolls that we have, um, yeah, that showed you opened, it is for real a black scroll, but you have to use it, and it mm. gives knowledge. This. The one he had gave knowledge, the, uh, you know, know the heart and soul of another person. Well, what if this is a black scroll that you could use to find out how to defeat an enemy? Yeah, yeah. But you have to read it and then, like, actually use it. Actually use it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can, you, you, you can, you can, like, open it, like, physically open it, but that doesn't activate it. You have to make the conscious decision to use it. Yeah. So if it is a real black scroll and the power it has is to give information either about a past event or how to defeat an enemy, yeah. then Kuniyori was telling the truth. It does tell how to defeat Fulang mm. or tells what happened in the past to defeat Fulang, but it is also a black scroll. Mm. And I like that idea. So that's where I'm... <laughs> Maybe we should stop giving the author's ideas because <laughs> apparently like that can this. end up happening. All right, no, okay. It's probably already written in the stars. It's true, it's true, yeah. It must be said that the Black Scrolls were specifically taken away from the Shadowlands. Having said that, some of them have gotten lost over the centuries. Mm-hmm. So who knows? That is... Including one that supposedly was taken back by uh, the Obsidian Flower, so... yeah. Yeah, although I suspect she used hers, but we'll get, 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 this is very much, we shall see, we shall see. Doesn't mean she couldn't have taken more than one. She obviously knew what they were. That is true. Trying to get that is also true. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Yeah. What do you think of this story? <laughs> uh, a lot going on, it must be said. A lot, of, a lot of new information. Things changing very rapidly, I have to say. And uh, people coming on stage that haven't been on stage before. <laughs> hints that Yokuni, Togashi Yokuni, is Togashi himself, but whether he is Togashi who simply has not died, Togashi who has hopped from body to body, or given the Togashi emphasis on remembering your past lives, maybe this is a reincarnation, and that's why he's saying, hello, old friend, I'm returning the favor. Oh, no. It's very cool. It's very cool. I do wonder if, because there's been a, a a shift in emphasis from the very magical aspects of rock again. For example, in old law, uh, Hida's son, or the was born from a, a liaison with the actual Thunder Dragon. Thunder Dragon turned up, mm-hmm. changed into a lovely la- naked lady, and said. You know, I love you. Let's let's make babies, and that's where Osanawa comes from. But in FFG's version, it was the priestess of the Thunder Dragon. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that in the same kind of vein, 
Togashi Yokuni is a reincarnation of Togashi rather than Togashi himself. But then saying, oh, let's let's deal with the less fantastic elements. Meanwhile, there's an only the size of a mountain smashing through rock again. So <laughs> maybe not. And and there is Fu Lang, you know. Yeah. Fu Lang, Fu Lang himself. Being Fu Lang. So. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I think it's good. Um, it's fun watching him anyway. Yeah. I look forward to seeing what's, what has the pieces going on, what's done, what's happened in that month. Um, yeah, yeah. We shall see more. Yeah. We also have Matsutsuko, who seems to have undergone a bit of a an attitude shift or is <laughs> trying hard to do that under the guidance of Arasaw, it seems. So what provoked this is something I really want to see. Because she's seen trying. I love when characters grow. Yes, I love. Yes. I love when characters grow. And there's a kind of hilarious kind of, oh no, I'm going to have to admit to Totori that he was right, kind of moment. <laughs> and this is coming from Araso himself, which is, I think, very interesting. He seems to be somehow involved. Grow after you're dead. Yeah, yeah, this is true. <laughs> Absolutely, you get a, you get a, you get a perspective. <laughs> so. Yeah, loads of stuff. But I think that's not. Yeah, I think that's that's it for us, really, to talking about this story. We've got more to find out. I did want to give a couple call-outs to some other podcasts. Um, on the Court Games LCG podcast, there is a great interview with Tyler about the end of the uh, LCG uh, that is relevant for us because he does talk about you know, the future of the story and some other products and things that are going on. So it's worth checking out if you're, you know, interested in the lore at all and why would you be listening to us do this if you weren't really um also uh there was a really nice call out for our podcast on the last province podcast where they talked about the competition we recently had and and so i just wanted to shout out to them once again thank you for uh your extremely entertaining and extremely long podcast uh it's always good to spend an afternoon doing laundry and, and listening to you guys go. <laughs> so is is their podcast about a laundry worth? <laughs> uh, a, a laundry long. I've been doing their podcast, four loads of laundry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a four laundry podcast. There you go. <laughs> and I'd also like to give a uh, shout out to the rest of our Core Games Network. So a shout out to the L5R LCG podcast, our Live from Tokyo podcast, Tokyo of the Five Rings, and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold, Agonies, and Fortunes, and Strife. And we can't go without giving a shout-out to our friends at D20 Radio, who have a plethora of role-playing game content for you to enjoy. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon. It supports our editing costs, as well as the website, where you can store and see longer-term information, summaries of our podcasts, RPG tools, and more. For our Patreons, we have some special bonus contents, like Adventure Seeds. I just wrote a new Adventure Seed for you guys. Yeah! I hope that you like it. <laughs> uh, early access to our AP podcasts, and uh, other things as we think of it. So, um if people would be interested in sharing, uh, sitting down with Kohar and watching a uh, samurai movie, I'm going to put you on the firing oh, line there so oh, you can go okay. tell us all about uh, some samurai movie some after. We will try that. That would be great. Yeah, give that a go. Time zones. Time zones. <laughs> but yes, we'll certainly lo- I'd certainly love to do that. It'd be a great thing to do. But thank you very much to our Patreons. Really appreciate it. Online, you can find our website at courtgamespod.com on twitter we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod and we are on patreon as mentioned and that's at patreon.com slash courtgames that is it for us this week this is Kikita Kaori may the fortunes favor you and I've been Korval until we meet again keep your jade handy stop
correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com 